Snowman Podcast. Welcome back to the Snowman Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Snowman. Well, folks, welcome to the first episode of season two. I am thrilled to be back in the proverbial saddle with y'all. I miss working on the show a lot, which had more or less become a daily regimen of mine for much of last year. With the new season, I'm going to focus, as always, on bringing up stories that have become almost lost to history, as well as sharing my views on the current topics of the day, which include combating the left's attempts to prove that America is an evil, tyrannical place, by sharing stories that will prove their claims false. And also, bringing more great interviews to you throughout the year. So, I wanted to start the new season off with another current events episode. Now look folks, I know a lot of you are turned off by politics. I get that. Trust me. There are days that I'm sick to death of it all myself, and would rather just delve into the realm of Middle Earth and fight evil alongside Strider and the rest of the Fellowship. But something always draws me back to the political spectrum. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I was a dedicated Rush listener, and I have missed hearing his analysis and voice every day. Especially since Plugs Biden has made a disaster of just about everything there was to make a disaster out of. Ain't that the truth. It's just a joke. And it's getting worse, folks. But I'll cover that as we begin the episode. But as I just mentioned... I am always drawn back to the political spectrum to learn what I can so as to help others understand the stories in the news that they hear if they happen to turn it on. So last summer, I sent a couple of friends of mine an audio file of my impression of Rush, and they loved it. They even said, you should do that. You should do what Rush did. Well, (laughs) I just laughed and said, no, that's not my desire, and just shrugged it off. But as the months have passed, I've gotten to thinking, maybe I should follow in Rush's footsteps. Rush always said he was just a reporter of the news and that he would give his expert analysis with half his brain tied behind his back just to make it fair. And he thrived off of that. He was the original conservative voice in a world of liberal media. And when he came onto the scene, people just fell in love with him. They were like, finally, someone who can actually speak what I'm thinking. That's how, it, that's how he started, and that's how he gained success. Now, many others have come along and started their own shows to vast success as well. Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, Hugh Hewitt, those guys are all nationally syndicated and widely known. You also have some newcomers like Mark Kay, Dan Bongino, Clay Travis, and Buck Sexton, who are quickly making strides in the fields themselves. Then there are those who are vastly popular, who are on the radio at times, but rely more on the podcast field to share their opinions. Take, for instance, the crew over at The Daily Wire and Joe Rogan. Then you also have the TV field. Newsmax, Fox News, and other conservative sites are able to have their own cable channels. I don't have cable, so I don't really tune into them that much. But those options are out there. But why do I bring all these guys up? Because I don't like listening to most of them. For one reason or another, I disagree to some extent with them to the point where I don't really want to listen to them. Maybe it's just because I grew up on Rush 
and I miss his take on things, and I don't think anyone can ever come close to comparing to Rush, and all those guys would instantly agree with me. They say that they pale in comparison to Rush, but I give them all a chance. And every single time I'm listening to them, something comes up. I'm like, oh, come on. Don't do that. You are better than this. And that usually turns me off. And someone recently told me I have a very high standard when it comes to radio hosts. Yep, I do. So uh, that's just the way I work. Now, if you like these guys, have at it. Listen to them. Listen to what they have to say. But... I just I just can't to some extent. I really do like certain hosts. Mark K is pretty good and Joe Pax, who I didn't mention earlier, he is really, really good. I really like him. Um, I would highly suggest them. I also daily listen to Ben Shapiro. While I don't agree with him on everything, I do listen to him. He does have very good insight. And I'll be sharing some of his takes on stuff in the next few minutes. But in the last month or so, I've really started considering the idea of trying to make this podcast similar to Rush's show, where when he exits, he has a little peppy sound, and when he comes back, he has some really good music to introduce the next segment. That's one of the key things I'm going to do when I do a current events episode, but only when I do it a current events episode. When I do my historical episodes, I'm going to always focus on the history of it i the only music i would use would be in synonymous with the story and or sound effects i won't be using any current events sounds unless they work for that episode so uh, i just really do want you guys to enjoy listening i just want you guys to love learning history through this podcast like i learn stuff when i'm researching for it and that helps me because of like me as a big time history buff. If I don't know it, I know a lot of you guys don't because history for the last 30, 40 years has been dry. It has been boring in schools. The only ways that it's not boring is when you watch something on TV. And that's a problem. I want kids to learn history and love it. Bad or good, it doesn't matter. You need to learn the history. That way you don't repeat it. And we're seeing a lot of stuff that has happened in the past happen today right now. Just look at Canada. So, I know a lot of you are weary of politics. And this episode will focus on some of the politics of the day. But it will also have some sports stuff thrown into it. Maybe some entertainment stuff. I don't know. But we're just going to have some fun, going to report the news. And I've said before, and I will always say, do not take my word for it. I will always say where I get the source from, I want you to go and research for yourself. Do not take my word for anything. I'll share it. And if you like, that can't be true, just go to the source I'll provide. And you'll see that it's true. I will always bring up topics and share them from a conservative Christian point of view. A Christian view first, followed by a constitutionally conservative view second. That's just the way I'll roll. So without further ado, let's vamoose into the current state of affairs, which we will begin right after this.
Welcome back to the podcast, and we are underway with Current Events Episode 4. So, the first story I wanted to share with you took place back in early January. And when I first heard it, I was very disturbed by it. The articles I will be reading from are the Daily Mail, which is a British newspaper, and the Vancouver Sun, which is out of British Columbia, Canada. And the headline from the Daily Mail is as follows. Unvaccinated Canadian parents and their four-year-old son with leukemia are being evicted from a Ronald McDonald house because they've not had the COVID shot. All right, here we go. This article was written by Snayana Fabarov for the Daily Mail. So the article starts off with the family of a four-year-old boy battling leukemia claim they are being evicted from a Ronald McDonald house in Vancouver because they're refusing to get vaccinated against COVID-19. But the charity says it will be offering them alternative accommodations. Ronald McDonald House, British Columbia, and Yukon Branch, which provides temporary housing for families of children undergoing treatment for serious medical conditions, on Monday sent out a letter to all its residents notifying them that a vaccine mandate was going into effect on January 17th following a two-week grace period. Under the new policy, everyone five years and older must at least get the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Those who fail to comply will be required to leave the facility on January 31st. Austin Ferguson, a father of two from Kilawa, British Columbia, shared a video on social media on Tuesday which shows him confronting an administrator at the Ronald McDonald House in Vancouver where his family had been staying while his four-year-old son, Jack, is undergoing treatment for leukemia. In the recording, Ferguson shows the letter announcing the vaccine mandate to the camera and then asks to speak to an administrator. Quote, I just want to get this straight. By the end of the month, my four-year-old boy with leukemia is getting evicted because we don't have a vaccine. End quote, he asks. The administrator replies that the eviction would not apply to a son who is under five, but rather to his parents if they are unvaccinated. Quote, this is some kind of crazy evil I've never seen in my life, end quote, Ferguson says. In the letter sent out by Ronald McDonald House, it states, RMHBC recognizes and acts upon its responsibility to maintain a safe and healthy environment, including taking every precaution reasonable in the circumstances to protect the health and safety of individuals attending at an RMHBC facility, particularly given the vulnerable populations serviced by RMHBC and the significant risk of transmission of communicable disease in our congregate living settings, end quote, the letter read in part. The article continues, in the video posted to social media, Ferguson launches into an argument that even those people who have been vaccinated can still contract and transmit COVID. He also accuses the charity of forcing people to choose between their children and getting vaccinated against their beliefs. Ferguson points out that his son, who is seen playing on the floor next to him, has had his other required shots, adding, we're not anti-vaxxers, end quote. The RMHBC official presses Ferguson on whether his family are vaccinated against COVID, to which he says no. The article concludes with the following. The video of Ferguson's confrontation with the RMHBC manager has gone viral on Twitter, having been viewed more than 721,000 times as of Wednesday and has prompted a response from the charity, which runs more than 685 programs benefiting sick children and their families in 62 countries around the world. That concludes the article in the Daily Mail. 
Now moving on to the following article, which was published in the Vancouver Sun. This article was written by Susan Lazurik, and its headline is, Ronald McDonald House says it will evict no one despite new vaccine rule. This article was published on January 13, 2022. The article begins, The Ronald McDonald House has denied that a change in its vaccination policy meant an unvaccinated family would be evicted from the house run by the charity for sick kids and their families. Earlier this week, the Kilanov father of a four-year-old who was staying at the facility while being treated for leukemia posted a video on social media showing him confronting an administrator about the change of policy. The family story was picked up by media around the world. The charity has since responded with a statement on Thursday confirming that most children over age 5 and their families need proof of vaccination as of January 31st, the end of a two-week grace period for the change, but said, no family will ever be evicted from our house, end quote. The statement also said, Our team has been in contact with the family in regards to this specific situation and we are supporting arrangements for alternative accommodations. The Kilanov family of four arrived in October and were to remain at the house until June, according to the father's video. The Vancouver PR firm answering questions for the charity said privacy policy prevented it from providing more details about the family's situation. So all that being said, folks, the reason why I found this story so disturbing was the fact that it was even brought into question. The Ronald McDonald House published a poorly worded announcement, making people question if they're not vaccinated that they had to leave. That is the first crime. The second crime is that administrator, who, in my opinion, should not be employed for that charity if she more or less said, yeah, you got to leave if you're not vaccinated. That, that is just outrageous. It should not matter if you're vaccinated or not. If you're being treated for a life-threatening cancer, especially a four-year-old, how dare you say that you might have to leave? That is ridiculous. And the Ronald McDonald House should fire that lady for that reason alone. At the very least, suspend her and tell her you need to work on your delivery on saying, yes, you are being evicted or not. Because the charity came out and said, no, we're not evicting anyone. We're just going to provide different accommodations. It doesn't matter about that. I mean, think about it. These kids are having life-threatening diseases at such a young age. Their immune system has been compromised. Most families, they don't want to run the risk of socializing with other people because they might accidentally spread it to their child who has a weak immune system. That's just the way it is. I don't know that type of situation. If you do and I'm wrong, please correct me. But it doesn't make sense for people to be, oh yeah, we're going to go out and we're going to have a great big barbecue with everyone and then go back to our individual little places where our sick kids are. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Before I continue on with the point I'm about to make, I did want to read one more article to you, and this one is a huge problem. Unfortunately, it happens in the U.S. The other story was about something that happened in Canada. This one happened in the U.S. and is 1,000% a total travesty. This is an article from the New York Post written by Emily Crane, and its headline is... 
Boston patient removed from heart transplant list for being unvaccinated. A 31-year-old father has been removed from the heart transplant list at a Boston hospital because he is refusing to get the COVID-19 vaccine, his family said. DJ Ferguson's family says he was the first on the list to receive a transplant at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, but he is no longer eligible because of his vaccination status, CBS Boston reported. His father, David Ferguson, said his son, who is fighting for his life in the hospital and is in desperate need of the transplant, doesn't believe in the COVID-19 vaccine. Quote, it's kind of against his basic principles. He doesn't believe in it. It's a policy they are enforcing. And so because he won't get the shot, they took him off the list of a heart transplant, David told the outlet. My son has gone to the edge of death to stick to his guns and he's been pushed to the limit. Ferguson has two children and is expecting a third with his partner, Heather, according to a GoFundMe page set up for him. Brigham and Women's Hospital, which is a Harvard teaching facility, said research had shown transplant recipients were at much higher risk of dying from COVID compared to non-transplant patients. We do everything we can to ensure that a patient who receives a transplant organ has the greatest chance of survival, end quote, a spokesman told The Post. Quote, our Mass General Brigham healthcare system requires several CDC-recommended vaccines, including the COVID-19 vaccine, and lifestyle behaviors for transplant candidates to create both the best chance for a successful operation and to optimize the patient's survival after transplantation, given that their immune system is drastically suppressed. Patients are not active on the wait list without this, end quote. The hospital's policy requiring recipients to have the COVID-19 shot is in line with many other transplant programs across the U.S., the spokesperson added. Ferguson's family are thinking about relocating him to another hospital that doesn't have the vaccination policy, but fear he is already too weak to be moved. Quote, we are aggressively pursuing all options, but we are running out of time, end quote, David said. The family said the care he's received so far at Brigham and Women's Hospital has been great, but his relatives can't ignore Ferguson's beliefs. Quote, I think my boy is fighting pretty damn courageously, and he has integrity and principles that he really believes in, and that makes me respect him all the more. It's his body, it's his choice. End quote. His father David said. The fundraiser said that his resistance to the vaccine also has to do with his fears of heart inflammation, which health officials have said in rare cases has been associated with the shots. Quote, but in DJ's case, he cannot afford for his heart to swell any more than it already is right now. He is at an extremely high risk of sudden death if it does, end quote, the page said. Quote, we have had many conversations with the doctors who confirmed that his heart could swell and go into severe crisis, but they can't guarantee anything, and it's a choice we will have to make if he wants to be listed, end quote. So the main point I wanted to bring up after reading those two stories to you is something that has boggled my mind since the start of this whole COVID meltdown nonsense. And it is in regards to those who demand we follow the science. Have you noticed one thing about them? I'll tell you. They don't follow the science themselves. Really? Now, some of you may be thinking I'm referring to, say, governors or mayors or celebrities not wearing masks at events or going to parties when they demand everyone else stay at home but I'm not referencing that at all. What I am referencing is how utterly brainwashed these people have become. In only a year and a half, roughly, these people began to scream in everyone's faces to get vaccinated or wear a mask to protect others. Follow the science, as they say. 
Yet these same people, these same people deny that life begins at conception. Remember, folks, these are also the same people who for years have demanded we capitulate to the slogan, my body, my choice. And um, what was that that the man's father whose heart transplant was denied said? It's his body. It's his choice about that. They say that doesn't count. They say that you have to get the vaccine no matter what. It doesn't matter. You can't use our slogans against us. That <laughs> That's exactly what they're doing. They're saying it's rules for thee, but not for me. That's a very popular thing that a lot of hosts have been saying lately in reference to the left's ideology. These people also deny who created science. God. Have you ever seen a zoomed-in picture of someone's DNA or a close-up image of a frozen snowflake under a microscope? The intricate detail that each item has is radical. We don't know how many millions of cells we have in our bodies or the amount of snowflakes that there are in the clouds, but God does. And I say again, the very same people who demand that we follow the science in regards to COVID, deny science every single day. Do not doubt me on that, folks. Remember also that these same morons who are in government, Fauci and every other liberal lunatic, they say that men can become women and women can become men. That is total BS. And it is completely unscientific. But because... It is politically correct. They say we have to follow their science. Well, folks, I will not capitulate to their demands. And more and more people are starting to stand up against the woke radical mob. And we don't have to fight them either. All we got to do is point them to the true science that has stood for centuries. Centuries. These left-wing psychos think they can come in and change everything in just a couple of years. And they will if we do nothing. So whenever someone you know whose views are more left-leaning, just drop them a scientific article that proves the existence of God or something so complex they cannot argue it. And when they try to fight it, simply tell them they need to follow the science. That will drive them so crazy, their brains, which are already pretty much mindless mush, will dissolve into goo. Back after this. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Folks! I wanted to share with you another story that came to my mind as I was going through that last segment. And it goes to show you the difference between the radical left and your everyday liberal who will disagree with you, but will not become outraged and ballistic over the tiniest of things. And the perfect example of that is Bill Maher, who is a devout liberal but a liberal who is willing to call out the radical left. Not too many of those people around. 
And this is a story from townhall.com and it is written by Landon Meon. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But the title is Bill Maher says he's a hero at Fox News because liberals have their head up their ass. So he begins with real-time host Bill Maher ripped the left during the most recent episode of his late night program, saying that Fox News has praised him as of late for criticizing woke liberals he claims have their head up their you-know-what. Maher, who has frequently slammed Fox News in the past, spoke about the recent appreciation coming from the conservative news outlet during a segment of his show Friday night. He played a clip of Fox News host Dana Perino suggesting he run for president as a Democrat. The comedian said, In the space of 20 years, Bush press secretaries have gone from telling me I need to watch what I say, referring to comments former White House press secretary Ari Fleischer made in the early 2000s, to wondering if I should run for president. But the HBO host explained that Fox's admiration of him is not a result of his political beliefs moving toward the right, but because he is willing to call out liberals who have shifted further to the left. Quote, It's not me who's changed, it's the left, who is now made up of a small contingent who have gone mental, and a large contingent who refused to call them out for it. But I will. End quote, Marr said. Quote, that's why I'm a hero at Fox these days, he continued, which shows just how much liberals have their heads up there, you know what, because if they really thought about it, they would have made me a hero on their media. But that can't happen in this ridiculous new era of mind-numbing partisanship, where if I keep real about the nonsense in the Democratic Party, it makes me an instant hero to the Republicans. I think Marge in a bit of a pickle, wouldn't you say? Indubitably. Marr also explained that he did not always call out the left as much as he does now because they previously, quote, didn't give me so much to work with, end quote, adding that the oath of office I took was to comedy, end quote. He went on to say, it's not my fault that the party of FDR and JFK is turning into the party of LOL and WTF, end quote, he said. Marr then listed some moves from the left that he suggested were easy to criticize including Rep. Ayanna Presley, a Democrat from Massachusetts, calling for rent and mortgage to be canceled. Representative Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from Michigan, demanding an end to policing and incarceration. And Representative Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York, declaring that capitalism is slavery. He continued, quote, canceling Lincoln and Dr. Seuss, teaching children their oppressors, and math is racist, making Mr. Potato Head gender neutral, and now an emoji for pregnant men is all ridiculous. Anyone in their right mind would agree with him, and most people are and they do. I just really do wish that people would not just kowtow to the mob. Because the more you do, the more they will take. And they will eventually cancel you for whatever reason, you may agree with every single point that they make, and yet they will still cancel you because they don't believe in anything except cancel culture. They're coming after the easy targets right now. But eventually, and they already have in some ways, turned in on themselves. They will eventually cancel themselves out because they're miserable. Every single person who is a progressive liberal is miserable. 
But on the topic of ridiculousness, there is one thing I'm about to start speaking about, which may or may not get me in hot water. I totally disagree with the aspect of Black History Month. I find it totally ridiculous and just plain dumb. And you may be thinking, hey, wait a minute, that's kind of racial, isn't it? That's kind of a racist remark. Eh, 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 eh. No, and I will explain myself. But first, I wanted to play for you a clip from Morgan Freeman, who agrees with me and actually said it long before I did. This is from an interview on 60 Minutes when he was being interviewed by Mike Wallace. So take a listen to this, and then I'll carry on with my thoughts. Black History Month, you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? <laughs> no, well, no, 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 come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay. Which I'm month Jewish. is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no. No, I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. Now, that is a widely known clip of Morgan Freeman. And I agree with it wholeheartedly, like I previously said. There is no reason for there to be a Black History Month. No reason. And if you think about it, when they declared February as Black History Month, I think they were actually being a little racist in declaring February Black History Month because it is the shortest month of the year. Even when leap year happens and it gives it an extra day, it's still the shortest month. Do you think there was any coincidence in that? I, I, I honestly do not know. I have no idea. That is my speculation 100%. I just find it funny that everyone's like, you must give blacks a history month. It must be. Like Morgan Freeman said, which month is white history month? Or which month is Jewish history month? There is no month for those. And if you ask for those, they, they will accuse you of being a racist for even suggesting that. I guarantee you on that. Black history should be taught in every single schoolroom on any single day of the year. That, that's just the way it should be. It 1,000% should be. It should not be regulated to a month. Just like there shouldn't be a white history month, there shouldn't be a Jewish history month, which there aren't. Why must we say there's a Black History Month? Morgan Freeman said it in that clip. Black history is American history, so leave it at that. That's what I say. And like I said, you may put me in hot water over that. I don't care. I am literally have said this. I do not agree with anyone who says that we have to have a Black History Month because I don't want to regulate your history to 28 days, 29 days every four years. I don't want to do that. I want to be like, yeah, I'll teach about a black history aspect or a black historical figure on May 24th or August 1st or 
December 15th. I don't care. It shouldn't be a single month. And I really do hope that people will see that and be just like, who cares about that? I'm an American. I'm not an African-American. I'm not an Irish-American. I'm not a Jewish-American. I'm not an Asian-American. Which is kind of ironic because we limit people's heritage to one single area. African-Americans do not represent every single black person in the United States. There's some from Jamaica. There's some from Haiti. Just saying. And just like Asian Americans, what, what what about Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, uh, Singapore? What, what, what are we going to just say they're all Asian? No, they all have different heritages. So that's why when you become an American citizen, whether you were born an American or you become a naturalized American, you are an American. If you say you're an African American or you say you're an Irish, you're an American, and all the other suggestions, are you saying that you're a divided American? So, in all honesty, as I try to be, I don't have any articles to back me up on this. This is just my opinion. But I just don't want people to be divided. I really don't. People have to stand their ground for some things that they believe in. And you have to pray about it and make up your own mind and decide in your own heart if that's worth standing your ground on. I've had to make that decision, unfortunately, multiple times. And it has not been an easy road to walk down. But, folks, let's live as Americans as our founding fathers intended us to be. United, not divided. We'll be back right after this. Okay, folks. uh, So another story that has just taken over all of the news cycles is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This took place on Thursday morning their time, around 5 a.m., so it was about uh, 9, 10 p.m. Eastern time. And it's it's not looking good. I'm just going to flat out say it. Putin, who is the president of Russia, for those who may not know, he is trying to reclaim the territory of Ukraine. I really don't know what he's what his end goal is here. He wants to bring back I think the old glory days of Russia. I don't know if he wants that to be in the style of communist Russia under Stalin, Lenin and all them cronies or is he wanting to do it from imperial version of Russia? From like the times of the czars. I don't know. It it could be either. But I believe it's more of the latter. Of him wanting to more or less make it a czarist style of Russia. He is ex-KGB. So you have that. But what he is doing in 
Ukraine is just devastating. And across the entire viewpoint of America from left and right, everyone is just heartbroken over it. Now, I don't know anything about Ukraine. There's a lot of things that I'm hearing that could or could not be true. I did want to share with you a couple of stories that have taken place through this travesty of an ordeal. And I've been keeping very close eye on it. As of right now, Russian forces have taken Chernobyl. They have surrounded and bombarded the capital of Kiev. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are fleeing. And hundreds of thousands of civilians are signing up to defend their country. Like I said, it's just a mess over there. But three stories I wanted to share with you. One will lift your spirits as well as break your heart as to the circumstances of it. And two other stories that will just make you say, wow, that took guts. So the first story is from the website churchleaders.com. And the headline is Ukrainian Christians singing days before the Russian invasion goes viral. So a lot of people are like stunned by the fact that Russia finally invaded. They had been threatening it for a couple of weeks, but everyone thought it wouldn't happen. Well, they finally did. But to the citizens of Ukraine, they knew this was going to happen eventually. And... You can look, find this video on social media, probably Twitter or Facebook, wherever you tend to browse. A group of Ukrainian Christians are gathered together singing songs of praise to God. Now, that is just remarkable. They are about to face turmoil the likes of which they have not known probably ever Some would say they'll know it from 2014, but that wasn't as bad as what's going on right now. That's hard to think about, but just do some research and read up on the Russian taking of Crimea back in 2014, and there was a lot of turmoil back then. But just the fact that these Ukrainian Christians are singing hymns to God, I mean, that is just inspiring. That is what the church is. And that is what the Christian church in America should be applauding. They're all just woe is me type nonsense. What can I do to help? The best thing you can do right now for them is just pray. I don't know if donating money will help. I don't think it will right now. Because one, now that we've seen other things happen... Every single online system that you donate to can be corrupted, if not always been corrupt. So for us as Christians, the best thing you can do is pray for their safety. Pray that God's will be done. Pray that Putin changes his mind and decides to retreat. I do not see that happening. Only an act of God can make that happen. But just... Be inspired by them. That's that's all I can say. As Christians, be inspired by the fact that they knew what was about to go down and they still gathered together to worship God. 
not curse him for saying, why is this happening to us? What have we done? No, they are gathering to worship God and thank him for the blessings that he has bestowed upon them. Even in the midst of the upcoming tragedy that was going to be taking place and rocking their entire country. That is what we need to remember. The other story that happened, I believe, was yesterday. And I only read about this on today, which is the 26th of February, 2022. And it was about a Ukrainian Marine who made the ultimate sacrifice by deliberately blowing up a bridge in a suicide bomb, more or less, to slow Russian tanks from proceeding further into Kiev. That is always the testament of one of my favorite scriptures. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John fifteen thirteen. Now, I have brought that up many times when I'm talking about the United States military, but it goes just as well here. Now, I don't know the first thing about this Ukrainian Marine. I don't know the first thing about the Russians he stopped. I don't know the first thing about why this conflict really is going on. To be honest, I really don't know. because, And I don't really know where to go to research because of all the bureaucracy. All the dumb bureaucracy and the nonsense that every single media outlet will spew out telling us one thing and not telling us the other. There's so much confusion out there. So I just got to trust God's will in this, knowing that he has everything under control. It's a mess out there, but um, it's another inspirational story. It's a tragedy. That that man lost his life, but he did it in a way where he wasn't trying to commit suicide because he lost the will to live. He did it to sacrifice his life to protect his friends, to protect his fellow Marines. That is a hero in my opinion. That man also deserves the title Hero of Ukraine. Now, we don't know if... The government of Ukraine is a corrupt, no good system. We may, they may be, they may be totally corrupt. They may be totally deserving of what's going on, but I guarantee you the average citizen of Ukraine does not deserve what's happening to them. They do not deserve to have their homes destroyed by Russian military missiles They don't deserve to see Russian paratroopers dropping from the sky, killing them on sight, more or less. Now, I could be jumping the gun on that. I could be wrong. But it's it's bad right now. And I predict that Kiev will fall in the coming days. I I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. Those Ukrainians are putting up one heck of a fight. I'm telling you that right now. They are putting up one heck of a fight. And I don't think the Russians expected as much of a fight as they're getting. And that proves don't mess with a country 
unless you are fully prepared. And unfortunately, Putin is fully prepared to crush them completely. Does he want to? No, he wants their resources. So just keep the, there's a lot of things going on. Just keep them in mind and love him, hate him. Don't understand him. Don't know the first thing about him. Don't even know who he really is. If you, if someone were to say his name, Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky posted a video of himself a couple of days ago and told the people when the, and said in the video that this may be the last time you see me alive. Now, during the Afghanistan crisis debacle, however you want to call it, you cannot call it anything but a disaster in Afghanistan. When the Taliban surged through the country, taking over the entire country, more or less, in a matter of days, the president of Afghanistan, who was totally corrupt jumped into a helicopter with as much cash as he could grab and flew away to safety. Like a coward, he fled. The president of Ukraine is out in the streets this very moment fighting for his life, fighting for his country, willing to put everything on the line. He knows he is going to die if he is captured. That is not a faux threat. That is not a fake threat. That is going to happen if he is captured. It's a chilling thought, but it is going to happen if he is caught. Putin wants him dead. And Zelensky is like, you're going to have to go and fight and kill me that way. Because I'm going to fight for my country. I'm going to fight to the death for my people. That is a hero in my book. I don't, like I said, I don't know if he's as corrupt as a banger at midnight on New Year's Eve. I don't know what meaning that saying is. I don't know if he's super corrupt. I don't know if he's super legit. All I know is that he is willing to die for his country. So there you have it. That is all happening and the story is ever unfolding with all of that. That last headline I read you is from the Daily Mail. I would highly encourage you going to that site. It's a British newspaper and more or less they do report faithfully to the world events. They will sometimes have opinionated pieces, which you may or may not agree with, but they are typically ones that will just report the news. And... Usually I find their news worthy to share with you. Um, in a nutshell though, folks, I do once again encourage you to pray for the country of Ukraine, pray for the citizens, pray for the Russians that are having to do this. Some of them, I guarantee you, do not want this. And actually, if you do a simple Google search, thousands of Russians are protesting this war. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want the first thing to do with this war. This is all Putin and his little cronies. So there you have that. And one last thing, and this will tick some people off, but I don't care. This would not have happened under Trump. 
A lot of people have been saying it, and I'm going to agree with them. This would not have happened under Donald Trump if he were still president. Biden has been a disaster since day one. And every single day you think it can't possibly get any worse, and it does. Every single cotton picking stinking day. He does something to not only embarrass himself, which I find in just a travesty on his family's part. On his family's part, this is a travesty. I find it elder abuse to what they're doing to him. Now, he is the so-called president of the United States. And every single day, he just embarrasses himself with saying something so incompetently stupid or not realizing he's on a hot mic and saying something even more stupid. Like he just announced his uh, Supreme Court pick to replace Justice Breyer, who's retiring. And you just got to listen to this clip. It is honestly, folks, honestly, <laughs> this guy's a, this guy's a disaster. And Everyone said that Trump was a Russian agent. Trump worked for Putin. How is it then that in 2008, Putin more or less invaded Georgia and took it over? It became a puppet state. It's not really anything more than a Russian puppet state. That was in 2008. That was under Bush. In 2014, under President Obama's watch... He invaded Ukraine and took over the Crimean Peninsula and made a lot of mess over there then. That was in 2014. 2016, a certain orange man, and yes, I, I, I do call him the orange man. It's just funny sometimes. So, Trump gets elected and nothing happens. For four years, nothing happened. And then Biden supposedly takes over. I will always question the 2020 election. He supposedly takes over. And not even 18 months later, Putin has invaded Ukraine. Full-scale invasion, land, sea, air, everything. How is it that under the so-called agent of Putin, Donald Trump, so-called, nothing happens, and as soon as he leaves, everything goes to crap? How is it that there, this proves there's no Russian collusion? They proved that time and time again. The media, Hillary, Biden, all of them are so sick in the head that all they can think of is that everything is Trump's fault. No matter what, everything is Trump's fault. And I'm just, folks, just get over that nonsense. It ain't happening. So, I, I don't know, folks. I, there's there's a lot going on and one last thing i know this is not on the subject of ukraine i just wanted to touch on it briefly 
Justin Trudeau up in Canada, you are a tyrant. I know that was a subject change, but I want folks to know that Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, is a tyrant. A trucker convoy blocked up the streets of Ottawa for two weeks to protest the vaccine mandate that was being enforced by Trudeau and the Canadian Parliament. And instead of going and talking with the truckers, Trudeau calls them a bunch of Nazis and a bunch of Confederates and a bunch of racists and just a bunch of lies that he told about them. And you got to check out a couple of these sound clips. Uh, I'll play them for you in just a second. One is of Trudeau responding to a conservative member of parliament. Conservative party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. He is a bona fide moron. Because if he knew anything about that member of parliament, he'd know that she was a descendant of Holocaust survivors. As soon as he said that, she blew a gasket. Rightly so. And then another stupid member of the Canadian Parliament on the Liberal side, and I don't care who you are or what your beliefs are, this remark is stupid. Here's that clip of this stupid member of Parliament who says that honk honk for a trucker horn stands for Heil Hitler. Are you kidding me? Listen, listen to this clip. How much vitriol do we have to see of honk honk, which is an acronym for Heil Hitler, do we need to see by these protesters on social media? This lady is a total buffoon, folks. Honestly, I don't know where they find some of these kooks. I really don't. I mean, how do the dumbest people always seem to make their way to public office and then show how stupid and unintelligent they are? And she should resign for that statement alone. I don't care who you are. All they want to do, all the left wants to do across the board is accused the first time that they have any opposition that they are racist and that they are Nazis. Are you kidding me? Learn your history. This is the ignorance that the left has been forcing down every single person's throats. They don't want you to learn history. And they are ignorant of the, themselves because to just refer to everything to Nazis? Are you kidding me? These same morons supported the Black Lives Matter movement that ravaged the United States and other countries, but in the United States alone, ravaged the country, destroying cities, destroying people's lives to a total of $2 billion. And they said nothing about the destruction. They said nothing about the loss of life. They said nothing. And then truckers go to Ottawa and set up bouncy houses for kids. They honk their horns 
and fun. They said, we're not moving. We want to talk to you. Let us talk. Let us sort out these differences. And Trudeau, like the tyrant that he is, said, no, you guys are Nazis. And now I'm going to enact the Emergencies Act and destroy your lives. I'm going to go after not only you, I'm going to go after your family. I'm going to go after every single one who donated to your convoy. I'm going to freeze their assets. I'm going to destroy every single person's life who supported you. That is a tyrant, and I am shocked that no one's taken a shot at him yet, but I will not be surprised if and when that does happen back after this. That's a great little piece of music right there. I want to shout out the young man who created that little ditty for me. He is phenomenal with what he does, and I cannot wait to see where he goes. He will only be going up in the future. Uh, I really want to thank him for creating that little theme for me. So we've talked enough about politics. We've talked enough about the current events in the news world. I want to shift over and talk about some of the big stories that have happened in the sporting world. So you have had three major developments happen in the last month and a half or so regarding the NFL. The biggest and latest news has been the LA Rams winning the Super Bowl, beating the Cincinnati Bengals by three points in a very entertaining game that took place at SoFi Stadium, and you know what? I despise the Rams, but i got to give them congratulations. They've won a hard-fought game, and they deserve the win. The game was clean. The referees barely had any flags to throw until the end, which may or may not come about as a controversy. I don't know. The game is over and done with, and the Rams won, and... A lot of people are happy for Matthew Stafford. They're happy for Aaron Donald. They're happy for uh, Eric Weddle. I mean, all those guys, they, they deserve the ring. But not really wanting to talk about Super Bowl all that much. I wanted to talk about a few other things that have happened in regards to two big-time quarterbacks. Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady have both announced their retirements from the NFL following the 2021 season. Um, For anyone 18 or younger, these two quarterbacks have been the only quarterbacks they've known to play for the Patriots or the Pittsburgh Steelers. That tells you that these guys, they've had a long career. Ben Roethlisberger, 18 years, and Tom Brady, 22 years. 22 years he's been in the NFL. That is a remarkable career. Everyone calls him the GOAT, and I agree with them. He is the greatest quarterback of all time. He has set almost every single record there is to set, and it is highly commendable what they've been able to do for not only their teams, but for their communities around them because they're both heavily involved in their communities. So 
Starting off with one who every Pittsburgh Steelers fan will hate me for, but I got to say it as the lesser of the two quarterbacks to retire, Ben Roethlisberger. This is an article from ESPN. Pittsburgh Steelers Ben Roethlisberger retires after 18 seasons. And this article is written by Brooke Pryor. After 18 seasons as the starting quarterback at the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger announced his retirement Thursday morning. The journey has been exhilarating and fueled by a spirit of competition, Roethlisberger said. Yet the time has come to clean out my locker, hang up my cleats, and continue to be all I can be to my wife and children. I retire from football a truly grateful man. In a statement, Steelers president Art Rooney II said, We are forever grateful for all the success he has helped bring the organization for the past 18 years. Ben will always be viewed as one of the all-time greats in our team history, and his determination, toughness, and competitiveness will be remembered by everyone in the organization as well as Steeler Nation throughout the world. Now, I am a Ravens fan, and I gotta give him props. I mean, that man, he has taken such a beating over the years. He is... One of his records is he is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. I think that's partly because he was in it for 18 years and partly because he's a division rival of the Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens are really, really good at sacking quarterbacks. And we have a fierce rivalry with the Pittsburgh Steelers for a long, long time, it was Ravens versus Steelers. That's the biggest matchup in the AFC North. It's shifted a little bit here and there, but it's always been heralded as, oh, this is the greatest competition. And Roethlisberger has been that competition for all but... Ravens started in 96, and Roethlisberger just retired after 18 seasons. So... Almost the entire time the Ravens have been a football team, Roethlisberger has been our opponent. Now, when I first started watching football, I became a Steelers fan. Not because of Big Ben or because of any other Steelers in particular, except one. That would be Troy Palomalo. And that was because I was sick one night during the playoffs. And so I was just watching football and I see this really good player with long wavy carly whatever you want to call it has with long hair literally dominating the sport literally he was just everywhere and i'm like dang that guy is good i want to root for him so i started rooting for the steelers and i rooted for them for i think one season or maybe season and a half and two things happened that made me switch allegiances. One was Big Bang got himself into some hot water. That hot water, I think, has been resolved. You can look it up. He got some got like a sexual allegation thrown at him. I don't know where that story went. I don't know what became of it. If it was settled out of court or something. But that is one thing that will always hang over his NFL career. I don't I hope he makes it into the Hall of Fame. I don't know though. Maybe he doesn't deserve it because of that, but for on the field playing, he deserves to be in the NFL Hall of Fame. 
Um, the other reason why I switched allegiances was because growing up, I only had local TV stations, so I didn't get a chance to watch any Pittsburgh Steelers games because the only teams they put on local TV were the Ravens and the Redskins. Yes, I am going to always call them the Redskins. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I'm I'm going to become a Ravens fan. So I told a couple of friends of mine that, yeah, I'm going to root for the Ravens. I was slowly, sneakily saying that, and they'd be like, all right, all right. What, what do you think your dad's going to say? I'm like, well, I'm going to tell him. So I went in one day, and I was like, hey, Dad, I've decided I'm a Ravens fan. <laughs> I, I remember his. he just looked at me over his glasses. He did that, like, classic look that almost every single kid dreads, but kind of, like, laughs at because it's not meant to be in a vicious way. It's seriously... That, that type of uh, look, and I'm being 100% honest here, he looked at me, and he said, go to your room, <laughs> and I just busted out laughing, and I mean, he understood why I became a Ravens fan, because I wanted to watch local teams, and that was the only way to watch local teams was to watch the Ravens, so I didn't care about any other type of Gotta have the NFL package, gotta follow the draft, gotta follow all the stats. I didn't care about all that. I still don't. I just want to watch a stupid football game for three and a half hours on a Sunday or a Monday night, which I don't fall asleep to. Or a Thursday night, which I don't fall asleep to. <clears throat> hint, hint, I always fall asleep during those games. <laughs> um, but he hated the Ravens because when they built the stadium, they used taxpayer money. And yet they're paying all these guys hundreds of millions of dollars to play a stupid sport. And he just didn't like that. He liked other football teams, but he just didn't like it that they used his tax dollars to build a stadium. Yeah, people are going to have their opinions. I didn't find that enough of a factor for me to stop rooting for the Ravens. Um. And I think eventually he would have come around because I think the two of us would have loved watching football together and just have a good time. And that, that's the main thing. And that's what Big Ben did. He got two Super Bowls in his 18-year career. He made it the playoffs almost every single time. Um, he has the fifth most passing yards in NFL history, 64,088 yards. That's a big record. He's got 418 touchdowns. That's another remarkable stat. Um, so I just want to shout out, congrats to Big Ben. Enjoy retirement. We'll miss seeing you on the field. And we'll see who your replacement is. And will he live up to the rivalry? Most likely just because he's a Steeler and we're Ravens, so purple and black all the way, baby. Now, the other big quarterback to retire was none other than Tom Brady, the dreaded Buccaneer, who has been in 10 Super Bowls over 22 years. Almost half 
of his career, he made it to the Super Bowl. And when he didn't make it to the Super Bowl, I think almost every other time he made it to the AFC Championship or NFC Championship since in the last couple of years he switched over to the NFC for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, Tom Brady, he has notable accomplishments. Most touchdown passes in NFL history, 624. Most passing yards in NFL history, 84,520 yards. 243 regular season wins. Most playoff wins, 35. And he has 19 more wins than any other QB. The next one is Joe Montana, who stopped playing in the 90s. He has the most Super Bowl appearances, 10, and wins, 7, won 7 rings. And every single NFL fan who isn't a Patriot or a Buccaneers fan is just like, why? Why do you always have to win? I just want to see a different team. At least win. But he always won. Somehow, some way. Just like Big Ben. Third and long. I just got to the point. Third and long doesn't mean a thing with these two quarterbacks. Third and long? Eh. They get it. First and ten. Third and long. Oh, they just got a 45-yard pass. Didn't see that coming. I hated every single second of it. But I knew it was coming no matter what. They just had a way of throwing up to an open player. Uh, He also had 15 Pro Bowl selections. Three-time NFL MVP awards. 2009 Comeback Player of the Year. Named to the NFL 100 all-time, one of 10 quarterbacks. He's an all-time playoff leader in touchdown passes, 86. Passing yards, 13,000 in just the playoffs. And completions, he has over 1,100 completions in just the playoffs. Truly, he is the greatest quarterback to play football in the NFL. And I got a hunch... Because when it was being speculated that he was contemplating retirement after this season, it was all like, is he going to retire? Is he not going to retire? Blah, blah. It was back and forth, back and forth. And then it was reported, he's done. He's hanging up the cleats. He's going home. And that reporter jumped the gun. And it was just like, all everything just went nuts. In the NFL, like, what's he going to do? And I personally think he's going to come back. I could be wrong. I got a friend of mine who is a diehard Patriots fan and an even diehard-er Tom Brady fan who thinks he is done. I don't know. Tom Brady announced his retirement on an Instagram post, and I think that's the biggest reason why I don't think he's done because – He didn't get to go out the way he wanted. He didn't go out addressing the media saying, this is it. I'm done. It's been a great career. I'm looking forward to retirement. It got blabbed for him. Now, imagine you wanting to keep something quiet. You wanted to announce it to everyone. And then someone just goes and blabs it. For you before you're ready. 
you kind of get demoralized by it. You're like, oh, come on. I wanted to do that. Can't you just let me have this one moment? I mean, I've had all these other moments. Yeah, sure. But can't I just have this one last moment? That's why I don't think he's done. I, I, I am not going to be shocked if Tom Brady returns to the NFL for one last hoorah. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but I am almost willing to bet money on it. I never bet money on anything, so I'm almost willing to bet money on it that Tom Brady is not done yet. He could be, but he's, I, I don't know. But I just want to shout out, congratulations to him. He deserves every single moment of praise that is thrown at him. Does he deserve a lot of criticism? Heck yeah. He's cry Brady for a lot of people. When he didn't get his way, he went over to the revs and was like, bye, 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 they did, they hit me, they threw me down hard. Be like, yep. And unfortunately, he got his way a lot of times. He has a few issues hanging over him like Deflategate and Spygate that I don't know may or may not have involved him. I don't. I think that was more of the coaches and Belichick and all them. But, you know... In the long run, every single player respects him. And as a Ravens fan, I got to be very grateful for something that he said. He pointed out Lamar Jackson, who's the current quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, and said, you're next. You're the next great quarterback. I can see it. For a young NFL quarterback like Jackson, getting that from Tom Brady, the GOAT, That's a mighty high compliment. And I'm really happy that he said it about my quarterback. Because as a Ravens fan, (laughs) I think we're going to be Super Bowl champs again. Before too much longer. Could be the 2022 season. Maybe, maybe not. Every single friend of mine right now who isn't a Ravens fan is like, <laughs> not. So, <laughs> that's a shout out to anyone I know. <laughs> it's like, oh, there he goes speculating again. <laughs> but those, those guys just deserve every single bit of praise for their storied NFL careers. And no doubt they are going into the NFL Hall of Fame because of their records. They have just dominated the AFC conference of the NFL. And a lot of kids are going to be like, wait a minute, who's our quarterback now? So kudos to those guys, and we will be back with one last story right after this. So the final story that I wanted to share with you today, I only happened to notice on a whim a couple of weeks ago. And and that's sad in and of itself. It's, I hate to say it, but it's a sad story, but it's such a moving story for what happened as a result of it. This is from the Baltimore Sun and it is by 
Christine Condon and Lily Price. And the headline is, The Hero Send-Off That They Deserve. Thousands attend funeral of three Baltimore firefighters killed in Row House Blaze. This was published on February 2nd. And I'm just going to read to you the whole article and then just go from there. The article begins, On their way to a Row House fire just before dawn, January 24th, Baltimore firefighters Lieutenant Paul Buttram, Kenny Lacayo, and Lieutenant Kelsey Sadler received the dispatch. Someone was trapped inside the building. Quote, they were told that somebody, some resident of West Baltimore that they had never met was in danger of dying, said Edward Kelly, general president of International Association of Firefighters during the firefighters funeral service Wednesday. And they decided that somebody was worth dying for. All three firefighters died when that vacant row house in southwest Baltimore's Mount Clare neighborhood collapsed with them inside. One other firefighter, John McMaster, was rescued quickly and hospitalized for several days with injuries he sustained during the blaze, which is among the deadliest for first responders in Baltimore history. Baltimore as a city is grieving the loss of the lives of three of the bravest among us, Mayor Brandon Scott said. Those who every day decided to get up and not just face the danger, but run headfirst into the danger to save strangers. Nearly all members of the city's fire department's 1,400-person force, as well as thousands of other first responders from as far away as France, packed the joint memorial service at the Baltimore Convention Center. A series of ceremonies shut down streets and highways as the caskets of the firefighters all of whom were in their 30s, were loaded onto fire trucks that idled underneath an American flag. As the fire engines crawled down Conway Street on the way to the burial at Delaney Valley Memorial Gardens in Timonium, firefighters, paramedics, and emergency medical service personnel saluted silently, a sea of blue tribute. The somber atmosphere Wednesday morning was occasionally punctured by the sound of ambulances staffed by fire departments from neighboring districts. Crews from other parts of the state and Washington, D.C. filled in to allow firefighters from the city to attend the funeral. The first time in the department's history, all of its units were out of service. City fire officials said neighboring companies provided mutual aid to at least two building fires Wednesday. Baltimore City Fire Chief Niles Ford began his remarks by thanking the replacement firefighters. My goal with our assistant chiefs was to try and make sure that everyone who was working that day had an opportunity to come here and grieve in unity, he said. And I just want to thank all those individuals who came, all the firefighters, all the fire chiefs, all the elected officials who made it possible. Standing before an image of Baltimore skyline, Governor Larry Hogan spoke tearfully before the assembled crowd, which filled a sprawling hall in the convention center. Just after 6 a.m. last Monday in the dark and the searing cold when the call came in, Paul, Kelsey, and Kenny, who were on shift that day, did what they had always done, what they were trained to do, what they loved to do, Hogan said. They said, send me. Family members and friends came forward to eulogize the fallen, and after they spoke, slideshows of their photos were played to music. Buttram, 37, a Hartford County native, became a Baltimore City firefighter in 2006. He always dreamed of joining Truck 23 in Pigtown, said his friend Josh Fannin, president of the Baltimore Fire Officers Union, IAFF Local 964. 
A practical joker in the firehouse, Buttram once tricked a co-worker into wearing a pair of women's underwear over his firefighting uniform, Fannin joked. He enjoyed watching the Boston Red Sox and NASCAR and camping with his wife and young son, Nolan, who died three years ago this month. Paul is keeping a watchful eye over all of us, with Nolan at his side. Together at last, Fannin said. Lacayo, a 30-year-old Silver Spring native, joined the Baltimore Fire Department in 2014 as a firefighter and paramedic. His fiancée, Clara Fanlon, remembered Lacayo as a gentle soul, the kind of man who wouldn't let her open any doors, who always wanted to check with her before taking an overtime shift. The protector, who forced me to drink water when what I really wanted was more tequila, she said, to laugh from the crowd. I haven't been back to our home yet, Finlan said, where our wedding guest list still sits on top of my laptop. Sadler, a 15-year veteran of the department, joined just after graduating high school in Hartford County. Her sister, Lacey Marino, recalled the 33-year-old as fiercely defiant and deeply loyal. That was our girl. Strong words, strong feeling, and very strong hugs, Marino said. She was the best hugger. Hug so strong you felt like she would bruise you. Sadler also loved taking photos. When her family went through her phone after her death, they realized just how much, her sister said. There were 4,957 pictures on there. And that was after a recent phone dump, Marino said. Remember to take the pictures. Buy the selfie stick and be obnoxious about it. After the service, fire personnel flanked Conway Street to create a sea of blue that saluted Engine 55, where Lieutenant Buttram was posted. Engine 14, where Sadler and Lakaya were stationed, and another engine, which had its number marked with a black morning stripe, also worn over the badges of first responders. A procession of at least 70 city fire trucks and ambulances wound through downtown Baltimore and up Interstate 83 to Delaney Valley Memorial Gardens. A large American flag tied to engine ladders, flew above the procession on Charles Street. Today is really about the victims and their families and lifting them up and supporting them and giving them a hero send-off that they deserve, Scott said. The loss of Buttram, Lacayo, and Sadler marks the first line of duty deaths for the Baltimore City Fire Department since 2014, when Lieutenant James Bethay died of smoke inhalation after falling through a four at a vacant row house. Last month's deadly fire, which took place in the 200 block of South Stricker Street, is being investigated by the Federal Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. A reward for a person of interest captured on video near the scene of the blaze before it took place ballooned to $100,000 last week with contributions from the state, localities, and firefighters' unions. Fire personnel from near and far traveled to Baltimore to honor their fallen comrades, including from Chicago, Detroit, California, Canada, and France. Patrick Trudell a battalion chief from Montreal said his company traveled to Baltimore to embrace the city in love and support during its loss, a pain his department knows intimately. Pierre Lacroix, a Montreal firefighter, drowned in the line of duty during a water rescue in October, Trudell said. It's our duty and responsibility to come here to Baltimore to support our brothers and sisters of the department. Jeffrey Cheney, a military veteran injured in combat, said Baltimore fire personnel recently helped him when his power scooter died and he had a seizure. Beyond taking him to the hospital, city fire personnel charged his scooter and fed his cat. I would never miss this, Cheney said outside the convention center. This is the epitome of respect. 
Three people lost at one time for running into a burning building looking for people who might need help. Folks, that's what this country is about. That's one of the stories that will not be shared in the mainstream media because it's about America. Those guys ran into danger but didn't run out, didn't walk out. They were carried out. Those three firefighters are heroes. They are what America is all about. I just wish people would understand that a little bit more often. As opposed to demeaning and demoralizing this country, look for these kind of stories. Look for these kind of stories about everyday Americans who didn't set out to become heroes, yet became them at the cost of their lives. It's not just the military who have heroes. It's the cops. It's the firefighters. It's everyone. You do something and then act as if nothing had happened. That makes you a hero in so many people's eyes. You're automatically labeled a hero if that event ends up costing your life. It doesn't matter what they did in their personal lives. What they should be remembered for by people who don't know them is for their act of heroism. At the very least, be considered. At the very least, not be forgotten when people think about demoralizing this country. So to Lieutenant Paul Buttram, Kenny Lacayo, and Lieutenant Kelsey Sadler, I salute you. Rest easy, and you will not be forgotten. The Firefighter's Prayer When I am called to duty, God, wherever flames may rage, give me strength to save a life, whatever be its age. Help me to embrace a little child before it's too late, or save an older person from the horror of that fate. Enable me to be alert to hear the weakest shout, and quickly and efficiently to put the fire out. I want to fill my calling and to give the best of me, to guard my neighbor and protect his property. And if according to your will I have to lose my life, bless with your protecting hand my loving family from strife. And that will do it for this episode of the Snowman Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And, folks, I really do hope you go and do your own research on those stories. And if you disagree or come to a different conclusion, please come and share it with me. I welcome your thoughts. I'm always willing to have a civil conversation. I always love it over a cup of coffee. So if you want to do it that way, I'm even more interested. So... Please share it with your family and friends if you enjoyed it. And also, if you would, please leave a five-star review so it will be easier for others to find it as well. The podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Reason, and Podbean, and YouTube. Or just type in the Snowman Podcast and look till you find an American flag with a snowman in the foreground. Till next time, this is Snowman, and I'll see you here.
So what do you call an anti-vax nanny? Mrs. Doubtfizer. <laughs> you gotta admit, that's a good one. All right.